Welcome to the FinOps Fridays podcast, where we discuss all things FinOps. It's an educational resource to help you learn and build your capability in all things FinOps. We're also here to have fun, so we'll make it entertaining, have a few laughs, and share a few stories. All right, and welcome back to the second half of the episode here with Devere talking about FinOps from an engineering perspective. Uh, so Devere, you spoke briefly about it last time with uh, financial incidents. If something wasn't an incident and something was steady growth, then it's sort of outside of that. Um, this is one of my little bugbears, and I used to see it a lot in terms of feature requests uh, when I worked for a cloud vendor saying, hey, can we have budgets automatically increase by two or 3% each month because of growth? And to me, that's just getting bad slowly. You, you should question, do we need to grow? Does the budget actually need to grow? What's the forecast of usage? Just adding a little bit each time allows waste to creep in. And if you're going by percentages, well, 5% now versus 5% in a year's time, you've got that exponential increase. So how do you pick up good steady growth versus little bits of waste creeping in? That's an amazing question. And okay, I'll start with a disclaimer, if that's okay. Like, <laughs> of course. <clears throat> Sorry. I don't think that we aim to be 100% efficient. <laughs> don't kill me. <laughs> okay, so uh, now that we got it out of the way, um, when you talk about TCO, and I, I want to dive into that first, and then I'm going to answer the question about um, how you handle growth. Yep. So when yep. you talk about TCO, um, there is a misconception that we have to be 100% efficient, but uh, I'm going to challenge that uh, statement and say, if my TCO, my, my engineering effort to reduce 5% of my cost will take five months of work of engineering, it's not worth it, right? And th that's one disclaimer that I want to uh, say before diving into what growth actually looks like and how we can identify growth. Um, I agree with what you said, uh, saying that you shouldn't just increase your percentage over time because two things happening. First one, uh, new technologies, cost reductions of different workloads, and you can you know, optimize your cost while maintaining the same run rate or increasing it by usage and not by cost. So there are ways to mitigate that. So ideally what we want to see is your business graph growing up and your infrastructure going flat a bit down. You don't want to see both of them rising because something is wrong there. It doesn't, doesn't have to be correlated to the same graph. And to handle growth, first of all, we have to understand like at the beginning how we build our budget. And that's an interesting question. I don't think we have enough time to cover all the financial aspects of FinOps, but when you talk about building a budget, then there are two elements in place. First one is when you sit with a team and understand their yearly roadmap, like what's the agendas that you're trying to achieve during the year to cr try and create before you hand over your budget a, a baseline for those agendas and a model to understand how much each costs. And that's the first phase. The second phase, which is the most important one, is to understand in the previous year the statistics of how the utilization went through during the month and to understand what the cost 
let's say um, the cost growth uh, in a, in an average year without any incidents. So you cut down all the noise, understand what was the run rate initially. So when you build a budget, you take those two into consideration and then you create this statistically accurate or try to be accurate graph of how the growth should look like. This is what we do. Here's the point. Our planning sucks. <laughs> and, and it's true, right? Because when you aim to expose your feature to 100,000 users and 1 million users are using it now, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And that's why no one should be afraid to update their budget because as I said, I rather invest $1 million more to generate one or three or $5 million more there. And this is the trade-off because everyone's talking about the spend on the cloud and this is how yeah, much money yeah. we're spending, but it's not, right? It's, it's an investment. And my job is to make sure we invest right. So when we identify growth, it has to be two things. First one, it has to correlate to a business. I can't identify growth if I don't understand what is running on the workload. And I hope that's clear, right? Or should I explain it more? No, no, yeah, okay. I understand it's that, clear. Yeah. Okay. So understand the business. And the second thing and most important thing, and that's why I said most companies is not straightforward for them, is to understand what kind of BI metric or internal metric in the company I have to measure that business to correlate it with my cost graph. So in an ideal world, for example, an application that its whole purpose is to receive a request, I have a graph for RPM and I have a graph for cost and I can correlate between the two. Uh, data processing, same way. Uh, if I'm talking about uh, my site content, for example, I can understand like who are my biggest vendors and make sure that we see multiple users growing the same capacity and not one user growing for multiple users the same storage right so i can correlate most of my business logic into my cost and then we can identify proper growth or incident and i hope i answered that question like no absolutely can... and i like the i like the sort of flexibility rubberiness around not being 100 percent efficient because there are external factors that you don't have control on. You can have the greatest feature land to the customers, and if you get it wrong and you have a performance impact, people may hate that feature and out, out the window. So that there's other reasons why you don't necessarily want to be perfect in your efficiency, and it's okay. You know, it's getting it mostly right a lot of the time, I think. It's so a good answer to, to not get too worried uh, for a lot of people as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I want to talk briefly about uh, your involvement in the FinOps industry, what you've sort of been doing uh, in there as a practitioner. It's great to become a master of your field. When you start to build capability in other people, you're having a much larger impact. You're active in the industry. You do a lot of consulting. You spend time with people. What are these people typically asking for? What's the sort of main main questions and the main topics that people want to get better at and struggle at in the, in the world of FinOps? Well, I think most of them are trying to tackle the, the obvious kind of challenges, which are common language, visibility and painting of cost and the idea that we have to understand what efficiency is in the workload. And they usually try to integrate with different monitoring services and to show 
those are the resource level metrics that you need to understand what kind of uh, uh, actions you have to take in order to optimize your cost. And for every one of them, I say, this is the wrong direction for me. Uh, because everyone's so focusing on tools to reduce cloud cost and to show and you know paint those uh, underutilized workloads uh, that they are missing the point right I want the tool to be able to integrate with my internal kind of way I want to do things and to most of them I say uh, this is important just know there are a lot of tools out there doing the exact same thing what you can focus on is how to be more proactive and more preventive in the way that your platform works. So instead of integrating with cost, just focus on the engineering pipeline of the company. You can build wrappers around Terraform. You can build wrappers around um, the way that we provision into the cloud. You can integrate with different policies in the ground in, in the cloud and say like, this is the best practices exactly like Control Tower did at the time. Like, this is what we see other customers do, which are which is working for them, and that's the best practice now for FinOps. So create a framework for FinOps, and not just a tool that shows you what the cost is. So that's usually my feedback. And you mentioned um, you know wrappers around Terraform. Uh, for those that don't know, give us a quick description around Terraform and sort of that wrapper aspect of it. Uh, so instead of Terraform, I'll just talk about infrastructure as code. Right, so orchestration tool. layers and tools. Yeah. Um, instead of you going into the console and creating, a, a, let's say, an instance, a compute instance, uh, you can have a code run it for you. So instead of you know clicking a lot of buttons and generate one instance, you can write a few lines of code and create one hundred thousand instances. And the way that we use it and why we use it is two things mostly. First one is ease of use. I don't have to log into to my platform to make changes to my production. And the second thing, which is for me the most important part of infrastructure as code, uh, the revisions. You can track changes in your environment. So the, instead of you know, finding out who provisioned that instance through the console, you can look at the review and the history of the commits that you have in your source control and understand what kind of changes uh, was made into your production. So that's yeah, nice. a, a bit about infrastructure as code. Excellent, excellent. And I love it. My, my biggest bugbear is just KPIs for the sake of KPIs and trying to hit arbitrary numbers. Uh, and that's what I always tell people. Don't worry about the, the preciseness of the numbers. And I want to get into that in the next one. It, it Basically, the tooling is there to help you. And the tooling shows where you have a problem and roughly what the problem could be. How you yeah. solve it, how you approach that is going to be different on your capability. Maybe you can't solve this problem right now because you don't have the capability. Relax, tackle it a different way. Um, but I, I love it. Again, I love this whole, it's not just tools, tools, tools. The tool is there to integrate natively in your workload and, and show you an area of focus on. I think that to, uh, you touched the right point there because uh, eventually uh, you have to work for those systems because they always show you like a resource level um, I'm gonna talk a bit about a, a simple dashboard I created, if that's fine, like uh, 30 seconds. Um, and, and that's the difference between our mindset and the industry. Uh, most of the tools will give you resource level uh, monitoring, saying like, this is the recommendation for this resource ID. And it doesn't help me 
because eventually when we talk about a world full of autoscaling groups and uh, uh, things that can uh, scale in and out and things that are being managed uh, externally, it doesn't help me to understand that this specific resource as part of a huge cluster of 100,000 instances is now specifically underutilized because it is being monitored and managed automatically. <clears throat> Sorry. So I don't have to do anything with that resource because it is part of an autoscaling group. And what we did uh, was create this logical wrapper around different instances groups in order to see agendas and, and workloads. So I'm not looking at one instance utilization and, and, and how efficient it is. I'm looking at a workload full of different kind of pieces and it shows me how that cluster work or how that autoscaling group work. And it makes much more sense for me to review that in that way instead of diving into 100,000 recommendations in those platforms, which, you know, I, eventually I have to hire someone else to do, just review the recommendations because I'm running, you know, millions of instances, for example. Not for true it, numbers, it, but you get the idea. No, exactly. <laughs> like I had the exact problem. Um, my day-to-day -day job as a product manager was exactly around that, which we solved last year as well went into a custom using some tooling and there was 4,117 pages of recommendations. Like, why? What should I do who's who, who's <laughs> going to have a look at the 4,115th page and go, I'm going to action that. It's pointless. Absolutely <laughs> exactly. pointless. How do we put on some organizational metadata? Well, let's look at it by team. Good team, bad team. Take some resources from good team, give it to bad team, make bad team better. Problem solves itself. You have a, you have a capability right. gap. Where do you have a capability gap? Not just let's go and fix each and every single resource. I, I love it, I love it. It's a, it's a great approach. Um, so we're gonna have a quick break for the mailbag. This is where we answer questions from our viewers. If you have any feedback, if you have any questions to myself or Devere, email us at finopsfridays at appdio.com. Over to the mailbag. Alrighty, and welcome to the mailbag from the previous episode. This is where we looked at forecasting with data. So on to the first question, is there a best approach to start with? Probably not. There's a typical one where most people start with, and that would be something like simple forecasting, where you assume it's going to be the same this period as the last period, or trend-based, where you look at which direction it was going, sort of draw a straight line, and that's what it's going to be in the future. And then you start to move on to things like uh, driver base, where you start to introduce KPIs. That's a typical progression. Like most things, FinOps, you need to view it to be as something that's going to be flexible. It may not be the right answer. Always assume that it's going to, you know, you're going to start small and iterate over time and continually improve it and have realistic expectations around that. Even when you're done, you're typically not done. Um, the iterations may slow, there may be less iterations, less size of an iteration, but think about things like macroeconomic changes as well. The data that is important to your business may change over time, so you may need to sort of tweak that and tweak your forecasting algorithms and the data that you use. And different data may influence to a different degree. Uh, on to the second question, how accurate does it need to be to be useful? I would separate accuracy from usefulness. And this is something that was really good that Dieter emphasized. Uh, it's gonna vary from company to company. Um, not accurate does not mean not useful. 
just because it's not an accurate forecast doesn't mean you can't make a decision or go a little bit deeper. You know, think about things like uh, notifications and anomaly detection. It's the uh, it's a push notification that something may not be right. And you may need to look deeper. It's not the answer that's a really important thing. So having a forecast may help you to take corrective action sooner and really identify problems, especially you don't want to wait till the end of month billing cycle or the end of the quarter to know that, hey, I wish we did something sooner. So things like, you know, you go from missing the budget by a little to missing by a lot, you can take action. Similarly, if you're on track to make budget and you're now off track, well, what changed? So I wouldn't focus too much on the accuracy. Of course, the accuracy is important and you want to continue to improve that, but the usefulness is something you want to focus more on there. Do I need specific tools for forecasting? Uh, I guess the answer is similar to most things in FinOps. Yes, kind of, maybe, depending. You can start with something very, very basic like a spreadsheet or some fundamental tooling and improve that over time. But with the cloud, obviously specific tooling helps you to scale, especially with the amount of data that you've got. Having something which allows multiple inputs from multiple different other solutions and different areas in your business is gonna be good. If you can get a cloud native tooling, hopefully it's gonna be able to interact with all your data by default, be able to pick up the trends, be able to pick up significant things. And also if it's a maintained solution, of course it's gonna be able to be expanded. Uh, in terms of buy versus build, think about again, things like supportability, think about things like maintainability, can you adapt it, does it have the right amount of inputs, um, don't assume that build's going to be perfectly customized for you, again it's similar to the accuracy versus usefulness approach, something that, and also keep in mind, this may not be getting used by pure FinOps type people. It could be something that's more relevant for finance. So having support, having things like help around the product may be more useful. So that's it for today's mailbag. If you have any questions, any queries, any feedback, feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at appdio.com. Back to the show. Okay, and on to our final question of the second half of this episode. Uh, so Devere, one question I used to always get, it was always a hassle working at a cloud vendor is, I want to get real-time cost data. And that's, it's one thing, it's a bugbear. I absolutely hate it. I get to become a grumpy old man about it. <laughs> is that they say, you know, I, I want to know, I want cost data instantly. I said, well, why do you need that? So that, you know, I can get alerts quicker. If something goes wrong, I can find out about it. I said, well, you want us as the vendor to tell you when you did something wrong. Don't you know when you did something wrong? Which is sort of a bit, a bit condescending, but it makes the point is that the, the, the issue there is that your engineers don't have visibility. You don't have knowledge. There, there's really, I challenge, I always challenge the need for real-time data. If you're getting that bad that quickly, you're not testing enough. You're not provisioning. You know, you mentioned a few things you were doing, provisioning in Terraform, putting perfect solution because you're actually, before you incur a cost, you're doing that financial check. Um, what are some of the drivers? How do you tackle this problem at Wix? You know, you mentioned things like checking in your Terraform and your provisioning approach. Is there anything else you do to preemptively look at sort of the, the financial impact before it actually occurs? Okay, so that's an amazing question. And I wanna jump back into what we said, I think half an hour ago. And uh, if it's in the cost, it's already too late. Now, if you get alert for cost, you already paid for it. 
and I think that's the really wrong approach and this is our job as professionals to try to educate the market because that line of questioning like how much thing cost and I want to get anomalies for cost it's just bad practice I mean it's like you're saying um, I need to understand where to put the bandage after I get caught. <laughs> no, you just I, have I to understand how to protect your arm, right? I mean, that's the right approach. <laughs> well, it's getting better at bandaging time after time. Like, no, yeah. you don't want to be quicker at bandaging. You want to like right. cut yourself less. <laughs> so, so I always use this example because everyone's trying to fix something, but just try to prevent it. And uh, I'm going to separate, as always, my question to two. <laughs> Um, first phase, it's, uh, we call it uh, pre-provisioning. Um, that's a phase where none of the resources actually provisioned in the cloud, meaning we're not spending a, a single dollar or investing a single dollar in the production. Um, so that phase is until we actually apply the changes into our production. And that phase is very easy to monitor because you have all the control. You can really, I mean, that's just an internal process for your company and you have all the control. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it. That's the easiest part to generate how much things will cost. It's the easiest part to better architecture or give financial advice based on the different pricing plans of the services that you want to run on um, and to make sure that you're going to provision an efficient environment. That's yeah. very easy to do. Very easy. It's just a, a simple cultural change, talking to your VP R&D, talk with your engineers, say, this is how we want to approach things now. And, you know, and this is amazing. This is the most important phase. This is the most important part of your job as FinOps for me. This is where you actually do the big bucks because nothing gets into your production without a, a financial review if it's under budget if it's efficient, if we're using the right services, the right uh, usage types, uh, the right instances, the right everything. Putting that aside, because that's the simplest one to do because it's an internal, uh, internal flow of the company which has full control. If something goes into the cloud, if you're waiting for the cost report to understand how much things cost, you're doing something wrong. And you said it beautifully. We have multiple metrics we can monitor in order for us to understand how our environment will be impacted with our cost. We don't have to wait for the cost. So I, I gave that example in our break. Uh, if I have uh, a, a metric saying how many cores I'm using, how many instances I'm using uh, in my environment, and that number spiked to X3, I'm going to know for sure, for certain, that in eight hours, the report will say you're going to pay three times, <laughs> right? The same amount. And uh, once you identify those spikes, those usage metrics, not cost metrics, you can actually integrate with those different metrics. And even uh, you say real time, I mean, even five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour later, it's still okay to mitigate. Right? And it's still fine to understand that you're doing something either wrong, your auto scaling is misconfigured and something went wrong in the, I don't know. So quick one on that in terms of um, monitoring your usage and monitoring cost, I think is sort of, 
it's the common denominator. Everyone gets what a dollar is. If you're yeah. looking at a XYZ instance versus an XYZ 64 instance, there's going to be a, like, how do you make sure that you don't see an increase in these tiny little resources that end up being about $3 that you shouldn't really worry about too much? How do you sort of understand usage that's important from a financial perspective? Or does it not matter? Is it as a behavior? So I'm going to tell you how we're doing it in Amazon and how we're not doing that in GCP. <laughs> um, in AWS, you have a public API for billing, saying that you have a pricing API, you can generate all the SKUs in AWS that generate cost, and it shows you the hourly run rate, the monthly run rate, and you can extrapolate the different descriptions from that API to you know, pinpoint that exact SKU that you're running in your environment. And uh, it also is part of the reporting itself. So you can check the CUR and you have the product SKU that is running on that specific line. So you know how much thing costs. So if we're talking about that specific uh, instance, for example, you said, uh, let's say uh, a C5 Nanix large, and you're running a one C5 Nanix large and you integrate with that API, you can understand that in North Virginia, it will cost you $1.53 per hour. But that's the public pricing. But if and and if that triples and you're running three and you're running ten or eleven or a hundred, you still multiply it by the same hourly rate. So for most of our biggest workloads, we can understand using the usage metrics multiplied by the hourly rate of that unit how much things will cost. So we can understand the impact. And is that the actual cost? Is, is that the actual cost of a C5 9X large? <laughs> uh, no. C5 9X large in North Virginia is 1.53. So. And that, that's <laughs> a sign of a true professional. The audience should know. You should be able to memorize most of the AWS pricing uh, pricing uh, sheets. Uh, actually, I'm just, I, I know how much thing costs because I'm using mostly C5 9X large. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost you, my you know the th uh, Yeah, you know the things that matter and you know how much they matter. I think that's a key takeaway uh, if you standardize on a particular type or family or a particular size, you'll get a good understanding. And that's the level of understanding that you should be at to be able to understand yeah. the sort of the, the metrics of that. Uh, that's the first thing. But I think the second thing is as a FinOps, you have to familiarize with how pricing models for each service works. Like I had this um, uh, FinOps saying I can multiply my Lambda compute and reduce my mm -hmm. build time in half. I was like, it will be the same cost. <laughs> I mean, that's correlative. So. <laughs> you have to understand how things work so you won't do anything that won't generate value. I had amazing discussion. Is it okay if I'll shift to a different uh, subject? Let's go. Uh, perfect. So as I said, I, I, I ran an academy here in Israel for FinOps, uh, free for the community. And uh, the last session that we had uh, was um, challenging the FinOps facts, right? And nice, uh, nice. And, and, and that's, that was an amazing discussion because we talked about, for example, best practice move from GP2 to GP3. And I said, who thinks, who knows what the cost difference is? And everyone's like raising their hands saying, oh, it's a 20% off. And I was like, no, it's a 20% of sizing per giga. Right? So that's the different size because if you have a database, you know, running on, 
I don't know what, how, how many IOPS, how many throughputs. It's going to cost still less. But when you do that pricing model and you come to your company and say, we're going to pay 20% less, but eventually you're going to pay 5% less because of your requirements, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a step that builds trust. Furthermore, GP3 doesn't support burstable IOPS, right? And if a workload needs that burstable IOPS, it's going to fail. So you have to understand what you're doing in your production. And we actually talked about the C5 and C4. When C5 came out, it was 15% less in compute, right? But only for public pricing. For reservation and spot, it didn't change. And most of the companies I talked to said like, oh yeah, our FinOps told us to move to C5, but they're running on spots. And on spot, it was a super expensive instance, right? So uh, when you build like trust based on FinOps best practices, you're gonna have to familiarize like what the actual cost impact will be in your environment. It's not just globally true. And so no, no, I, really, I, I, no, I, I love that because I think there are a lot of things, again, I'll get into being a grumpy old man, things like reservations. <laughs> There's a lot of things which you're told of facts and best practices that you've just got to say, prove it to me, show like, yeah. and you can, because we're talking money here. You're talking finance. Bust open Excel, do the numbers and prove to me what you're saying is actually a fact. And I love it, you things like commitment discounts. Oh, reservations give you discounts of up to 72%. I think it's a T2 Nano Red Hat in Paris. Gives you 84% yeah, discount. One. <laughs> but, so it's not up to 72, you can get up to 84 if you're using that particular one. You've just got to check and do the research and actually find out for yourself. So I think a good caution note to everyone, don't believe, regardless of even the most treasured source, if it's going to be exactly. important, you're going to put effort into it. Check it. Check that it is actually valid advice to you. It may be different depending. Exactly. So, and I like it uh, one of the things. For me to, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, one of the things you said before, you know, you've got those stop gaps going into production, and that's sort of similar to what we had with you know when we were on, I was on the well architected team previously is that that's exactly what Well-Architected was about. It's not a checklist about, have you done this? And we spent so much time on the language of the Well-Architected questions. How are you doing this? I don't care how you're doing it, but show me how you implemented this technique. You are then having exactly. a discussion with people is how do you see that discussion? Show me how we achieved this. Show me how, how it was done. Don't care how, as long as you thought about it and did it in some way, we should be golden as well. And I like that you've got, you talked about some KPIs on your workloads as well. And I think that that's another one, you know, we'll have performance metrics, X number of throughput and sessions at a cost of X dollars per. Put that metric on there up on a workload up front. Everyone then has to work out how they're gonna do it. And then it's gonna be monitored. It's then gonna be tracked because you're doing it. You thought about it. So I love that you've got those sorts of things at the front of your workloads, which is gonna drive that behavior post as well. Exactly. And I think I have a great example from yesterday, if you want to hear about it. Um, Excellent. So yesterday I had this amazing discussion um, about ROI, the return of investment, and how can we... One of the biggest challenges in what I'm saying to do is to create that correlation between the business and uh, the actual value and cost of that agenda. And we talked about two services. And this is an amazing discussion because both of them relate to security. And one of them we dropped 
and the other we said like this is important and sorry and and what's amazing about this discussion is the first one was vpc flow logs in aws and for those of you who doesn't know vpc flow logs show you the traffic source destination uh, of your vpc and it generates value for example because it gives you the ability to investigate uh, where the traffic is coming from and where to it's a very expensive service last time i checked we haven't used it for years but last time i checked it was a uh, um, 50 cent per giga to, to uh, digest and we our security team used it and when i approached them saying this cost this and this and it's a huge cost because wix has a lot of traffic um, they said we're gonna have to do it uh, this is a must feature and this generates like the ability for us to to investigate properly things in the production now how can you argue with that so my follow-up question was the simplest one show me the framework that you've built in order to track those logs like I guess you're not gonna you know roll down like endless files notepad control lines. Right. <laughs> um, so I told them, show me the framework that you've built around VPC flow logs to help us identify problems. And they're like, oh, we, we haven't gotten into it yet. <laughs> so I said, okay, when you'll have the capacity to build that, um, let's, uh, let's start there. And we can just open it for an hour, see what the insights you are getting and close it. Like we can build a process on top of that. And they didn't have any good answer. So we closed it. And that was a cost reduction, uh, a simplest one that could have been completely different because you could have said, oh, security is important. I'm going to have to keep it. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, the second service we talked about yesterday was a service uh, that we um, use in order to protect uh, our workload from DDoS. And it doesn't matter what the details are, which cloud or which service, but I. Uh, Holistically speaking, this service should prevent DDoS and keep our uptime and our SLA. Even if it, I'm paying for it, like let's say a random number, $50,000 a month. If I don't get one DDoS per year, is it still worth it? And the answer eventually was yes, right? So we try to create a model saying how much downtime of weeks will cost weeks per our SLA, per our brand impact, like to create that kind of a model with the total cost of ownership of that specific, uh, 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 what's the word, uh, outcome of a, an attack, a successful attack on weeks versus how much it costs to run that service. And the answer was, yes, let's keep it. So, uh, this is how we actually try to integrate those KPIs, that, as you said, security and performance and reliability and our redundancy across the multi-AZ, multi-region architecture. This is what we're trying to achieve, like that fine tuning to you know, put FinOps there in the KPIs as well. <laughs> and I like, you know, it really is how do you communicate that to a business? Do you have insurance on things? Do you have backup power? Well, this is backup to being able to serve your customers denial of service exactly. protection, putting it in that language, helping them understand that this sort of thing, we actually do need and it does provide value, even though you're not technically using it, it's it's still exactly. there in some sense. Yeah. It's awesome. like insurance, right? 
<laughs> you don't need exactly. it until you actually need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Alrighty, so that is a wrap for the episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, Devere. If you have any questions, any feedback, again, feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aptio.com. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. So that is it for another episode of FinOps Fridays. If you have any questions or feedback on this episode or would like to learn more, please feel free to reach out to us at finopsfridays at aptio.com. Also like and subscribe to get updates for future episodes.